If you have your Bibles this morning, I turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, once again. Uh, hopefully you remember that Jesus here is interacting with the Pharisees after he's healed a man who had been born blind from birth. And Jesus' aim was to cause them to see that he was God's son and that they needed to receive him as their savior in order to have a relationship with God. Well, they weren't buying it. They weren't, uh, they weren't listening. They weren't hearing. Uh, and in spite of how many different ways Jesus tried to communicate these truths, they were basically at a stalemate. And communication is difficult, and, and we understand that. There are a lot of communication barriers that we face. And so you kind of look and say, was Jesus having one of these communication barrier issues with the Pharisees? I mean, sometimes people just don't get it when you're talking to them, all right? I mean, it's just, you just kind of look at them. They have that glazed look on their face. And you're like, yeah, they, they don't grasp what's going on. And Jesus spoke in analogies, and he spoke in parables, and he told stories. So it's not hard for us to think that sometimes people got confused. They just missed what Jesus was saying. Saying. Have you heard of the book, you know, kind of highlighting communication that men are from Mars, women are from Venus? Have you heard that book title at least? Uh, it's about marriage and communication in marriage and how important that is. And it just kind of basically says men speak a different language than women. And all the women said, Amen, right? You know, that, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's what that, that book is about, highlighting those differences. And if you've been married, say, oh, 20 minutes, you understand. <laughs> These differences between men and women and how they communicate. Uh, I read of a farmer who made an appointment with an attorney, and he, and he came in, and he sat down in the attorney's office, and then the attorney took out a pen, a piece of paper, and said, what can I do for you? And the farmer said, I want to get one of them their uh, divorces. And the attorney said, okay. He said, do you have any grounds? And he said, yes, sir. I got about 140 acres. He said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I don't mean land. I mean, do you have a case? He said, no, sir, but I got a John Deere. So he backed up and said, no, do you have a grudge? I mean, yes, sir, got a grudge. It's where I parked my John Deere. <laughs> so so the, the attorney's getting a little more exasperated. He says, sir, I mean, do you have a suit? Yes, sir, we're at the church every Sunday. <laughs> so he's at his wits end. So he says, okay, like, does your wife beat you up or anything? He goes, no, sir, we both get up around 440 every morning. So he finally stopped, put his pen down, and leaned across the table and said, Sir, why do you want to get a divorce? And the farmer said, Because I can't have a meaningful conversation with the woman. <laughs> so we understand that communication is difficult. And have you ever tried to speak with someone who, like, doesn't speak your language? You ever been to another country where you're the person that doesn't speak the language or you speak to someone who's new here, no basis of English at all? I mean, what do we do in those instances? I mean, we resort to drawing pictures, you know, on napkins and, and lots of hand motions. And one of my favorite techniques in this is we talk slower as if that's going to help, right? Do you want some lunch? What? We, we talk slower or we talk louder, don't we? We yell, I'll call you a tow truck. They're like, my car's broken down. I didn't hit you with it. Why are you yelling at me? You know, so communication is difficult. So we look at this and go, is this a case where Jesus and the Pharisees, they're, they're just on different planes? Well, no, it's not. They understood what Jesus was saying. They didn't like what Jesus was saying. They got mad about what he was saying. So they understood it. This is the hardest communication barrier is when a person understands you and they just refuse to accept or receive the truth. 
You, you, ever, you ever been in that situation where just talking to someone, they just, they know what you're saying, but they've got their mind made up. They're going to do what they're going to do. It doesn't matter what you say. That's the situation. They refused to believe or accept Jesus' words and the truths that he was God's Messiah. Therefore, they refused to receive him as their Savior. Jesus was talking to these guys about issues and matters of faith and belief in God and obedience to God. And you see, faith isn't about understanding as if it's a head knowledge. Faith is about our response. How do we respond to God in faith, he who we can't see? And how do we obey the words uh, and the call that God places upon our lives? So that's what's taking place in John 10. Uh, And here specifically, Jesus is using analogy between a shepherd and a sheep to try and get the Pharisees to believe that he's God's son and receive him as their savior. In this chapter, he's already talked about how the sheep hear and recognize and then follow the shepherd's voice. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the door. You remember the big stones we had up here and I laid across the door to show you how a shepherd uh, out on the field would lay across the entryway of a pen to be the gate or the door that would protect and keep the sheep in and keep uh, predators uh, from coming into the pen and harming the sheep. Well, now in this middle part of John 10, we get to the heart of this analogy where Jesus draws some very important spiritual parallels. In verse 11, John 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, this is the fourth of seven I am statements that Jesus will speak in John's gospel. Uh, And he uses these analogies. When he says these things, he puts himself on an equal plane. He he identifies himself as being equal with God because he uses the personal name of God that was given to Moses. You remember that Moses was going to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And Moses said, I'm going to get there. And they're going to say, oh yeah, Moses, who sent you? Who told you to come and get us out of slavery in Egypt? Moses said, who will I tell them sent me? God said, you tell them, I am sent you. They'll listen, they'll believe, and they'll follow you. So Moses told the people, I am sent me, and they did listen. They did believe, and they did follow Moses out of slavery in Egypt. And so when Jesus says, I am, and gives these things, he's using that personal name of God, equating himself with God. He said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, we've already studied, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, verse 9, we saw last week, I am the door of the sheep. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. And then he describes, he talks about what a good shepherd does. And he gives a key identifier or mark of a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This phrase lays down his life. If you have a pen and have your own Bible there, Mark lays down his life. That statement, that phrase is used exclusively by John in his gospel and in his epistle. You don't find any other uh, authors using that phrase. And it always refers to, always refers to a voluntary sacrificial death. 
It's not martyrdom. You know what martyrdom is, right? You're, you're arrested, uh, you're, you're taken into imprisonment, and you're sentenced, and you're killed against your wishes uh, because of your faith in Christ. Nor does this word, this phrase, refer to uh, an individual who is guilty of a crime and is punished for that crime. When you see the term lays down his life, it always refers to freely giving up one's life for the sake or the benefit of another. And Jesus said, this is what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I mean, you get that picture that this guy that works for the shepherd who's out in the field uh, but doesn't own the sheep, he runs when there's danger because he is a hireling. This guy is in it for himself. He's in it for the money. This is a job to him. But when it's going to come to his life or uh, the job that he's being paid to do, he's going to preserve his life, all right? He's not going to lay down his life for the sheep because they're not my sheep, right? And so he runs, and the wolf attacks and kills the sheep and scatters the rest of them who basically their sentence is going to be death as well because they may not find themselves back or they'll run into another wild animal or they'll get injured or hurt and can't make their way back. And so this is disastrous to the flock. And then here's the thing about this hired hand. When he comes back and tells you that the wolf attacked the flock and it killed the sheep and scattered the rest of them, what does he expect he's going to get before he goes home that day? Pay. Because he did his job, right? He was out in the field and he came back to at least tell you that you lost everything uh, under his watch that day. He expects to be paid because he was doing his job even though he didn't give his life for the sake of the sheep. Jesus said it's because he cares nothing for the sheep. And remember, he's speaking here of the Pharisees. So what's he saying about the Pharisees? You care nothing for the sheep. So this is the parallel that Jesus is drawing. And then in verse 14, he talks about the difference between this hireling and the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life. There you have it again. Lay down my life for the sheep. The contrast here is that the good shepherd gives his life to protect the sheep while the hireling runs away when there's danger. In ancient Palestine, lions and wolves and leopards and bears and panthers and hyenas, that's a long list of predatory animals. Those animals roamed the hillsides, and one of their favorite meals were sheep. They were fond of sheep, and you know why they were fond of sheep? Because sheep don't fight back. They have nothing to fight back with. I mean, just think about it. How many scary movies feature sheep as their monsters? I mean, can you think of any? I mean, we've got wolves and you got dogs and you got bats and you got psycho cats, uh, you know, mutated snakes and lizards, even birds, you know, can be a, a, a villain in these movies, but you never see crazed, foaming at the mouth sheep attacking anybody. I mean, what are they going to do? Suffocate you with their wool? You know, they're just, they're, 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 Got off script, sorry. <laughs> caught, caught in the moment. Why do I think that's going to haunt me on Facebook here before the day's over? 
I don't know what they do. I mean, they're just—they're not attack animals, all right. They're just—they're they're always on the menu, but never filling out the menu. I don't know. But without a doubt, wild animals were the most dangerous part of an ancient shepherd's job. And through the centuries, many shepherds died while protecting their sheep from predators. You remember King David, when he was about to go fight Goliath, he says, I fought what? I fought the bear and I fought the lion, protecting his sheep as a shepherd. And apparently he won because he was still there to fight Goliath, you know. So it was very dangerous. And today, spiritual shepherds still have to protect God's flock as part of their job, as part of their responsibility. I read about a priest and a Baptist preacher and a rabbi who served as chaplains at the University of Michigan. And they would get together two or three times a month to talk about ministry and how things were going on campus. And one day, one of them made the comment, said, you know what, preaching to people is pretty easy. But, you know, there would be a more difficult task, a real challenge, would be going out into the woods and finding a bear and preaching and trying to convert it. Well, one thing led to another as preachers kind of get together and start to to challenge one another. So they decided to do an experiment. They were all three going to go out into the woods and find a bear to try to preach to it and attempt to convert it. They got back together seven days later to talk about their experiences. And so the priest is there. He's got his arm in a sling. He's walking on crutches. He's got several bandages. And he says, well, I went into the woods to find me a bear. And when I found one, I started reading the catechism to him. Well, that bear wanted nothing to do with that catechism, so he started to slap me around a little bit. So I grabbed my holy water, and I sprinkled him, and miracle of all miracles, that bear became as gentle as a lamb. And the bishop's coming out next week to serve his first communion and offer confirmation. Well, the Baptist preacher spoke up next, and this guy, he's sitting in a wheelchair. He's got an arm and both legs in a cast, has an IV drip, and in his best fire and brimstone voice, he said, well, brothers, you know that we don't sprinkle. So I went out and I found me a bear and I started to read to him from God's holy word. And that bear wanted nothing to do with my reading. And so he came at me and I grabbed him and we wrestled. And we wrestled down a hill and up a hill and down another hill until we rolled into a creek. And so I grabbed him and I baptized his hairy soul by immersion. And Father, you're right. He became as gentle as a lamb, and we spent the afternoon together reading the Bible and praising Jesus. And then they both looked down at the rabbi who was in a hospital bed. He was in a full body cast with traction, IVs, and monitors running in and out of him. And this guy was in bad shape. All you could see were his eyes and a little bit of a mouth hole right here with a tube in it. And the rabbi looked up and said, well, looking back on it, Circumcision may have not been the best place to start. (laughs) I'm on fire today, honey, aren't I? (laughs) I was just too good to pass up. All right. Back to the Bible. You see this analogy that Jesus is talking about shepherds protecting and caring for his sheep. Good shepherds and what they did in laying down their lives to protect the sheep, even if it meant for them dying in the process. Let's talk now about a couple of spiritual truths and applications for us from this picture that Jesus is painting. First of all, protect the flock 
where God has placed you. Protect the flock where God has placed you. I shared with you at the beginning of this chapter, as we started into uh, this uh, chapter in John's gospel, that God calls all of us and places all of us in places, positions, where we should shepherd and care and protect and be good shepherds to those in our circle of influence or in an area of responsibility. I talked about that for us uh, as fathers, as mothers, maybe as grandparents who are in a role of shepherding our children or grandchildren in some way. That can apply in the workplace. Uh, It can apply in our neighborhoods with our friends. I mean, it's just so many different ways that God uh, puts us in a place of leadership, a place where we can shepherd and care for people that God has put under our direction and our leadership. And we're to do that as good shepherds, which means protecting that flock, those sheep, and those people from negative destructive and harmful influences. And there are many, many of those in the world today. And we're to protect the persons under our leadership. And this applies outside as well as within the church. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told the disciples, and he warned them by saying this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is within the body. In chapter 10 of Matthew, uh, he told the disciples as they were going out that they were going out as sheep among wolves. And that's, that's an important picture. You're going out as sheep among wolves. Be alert to the dangers. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. Now, I'll take this idea and I will expand upon it uh, in our future. But let me simply establish, because we see it here in John 10, that is vitally important for church leaders and pastors to protect the church, the flock, from wolves both outside and from within the body. The Bible clearly teaches that those who sin uh, against the church and against God, both or especially within the body, are to be dealt with swiftly and sternly and justly, especially if there is a refusal uh, to repent or to seek reconciliation or forgiveness and restoration within the body of Christ. And yes, there is great mercy, there's great forgiveness, there is great restoration for those with repentant hearts. But if there's no remorse and no repentance or a pattern of sin considers by what Jesus called wolves within the body, they are to be dealt with so that they do not harm the rest of the body. Because they will bring injury and harm and hardship to the rest of the body. And the body will suffer when sin in the camp is tolerated. And so part of the task of pastors and church leaders, and it's not a pleasant task at all, is to protect and guard the flock, the body, from wolves, both inside and outside of the body. And it is a task that we must take seriously in the church because when we tolerate and we allow sin patterns to continue, it hinders the work of God both in the church and the work that is to be done through the church. So we must be diligent and stand guard in these areas and in these ways. Jesus clearly outlines the importance of protecting the flock and the body. But if you shepherd your family, 
If you are a shepherd in a workplace, in your neighborhood, or over a ministry group within this body, it is your task, it is your responsibility to protect and set safeguards for the persons under your care and your leadership. And you know what? People may look at you and they may say you're crazy. They may say you're you're too stringent. You're, You're too rigid in some of the things that you do to protect the people under your watch care and under your leadership. But who cares? You are the shepherd of that flock, not them. All right? And so you need to take seriously this charge and this command and this example that Jesus sets for us. Secondly, don't be a hireling. Don't be a hireling. The Pharisees were the bad shepherds. They were the hirelings. Remember, they didn't care anything about the man who had been born blind. This guy had a miracle. They called him names and kicked him out of the synagogues. I write that that's part of the abusive leadership that the people were experiencing. And the Pharisees refused to hear what Jesus had to say. And they ultimately rejected his message to the point that they had him killed. Why did they have him killed? Because they were losing power and influence. Both with the people, because the people were following after Jesus, but they were also losing power and influence, or they were afraid they were going to lose it, with the Roman government. And they were being paid off by the Roman government. And they enjoyed power and prestige and influence because the Romans paid the religious leaders to keep the people quiet. So they didn't revolt and they didn't rebel against them as uh, their, their captors. And so they were, they were afraid they were going to lose this influence because people were going after Jesus and were speaking of the freedom that he brings. But not only the Pharisees, there had been many false prophets, ungodly religious leaders, and wicked idolatrous kings that had led and abused the people in Israel. And Jesus came in contrast to those people as a good shepherd to love and care for them. And we're to follow his example as a good shepherd, not the example of the religious leaders in being simply hirelings who are in it for ourselves or in it for any other reason other than obedience to Christ. So in your work, in your workplace, and in the places where you serve, don't just be a hireling. The Bible calls believers. The Bible says that Christians are to serve and have a strong work ethic. Colossians 3.17 says we're to work and we're to give our all in, in where we work as if we are working for Christ in everything we do. Whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name for the glory of Jesus Christ. That means serving and helping those around you, helping them succeed, whether you ever get acknowledged or there's any recognition for that or not. You are to give your very best. Don't, don't steal from your employer. You're like, well, I'd never steal from my employer. What about your time? how you spend, how you manage your time. There are ways that that we can steal the time that we should be giving as we're giving to Christ for our employer that we're taking, we're stealing for ourselves. Don't be a hireling. Give of yourself to serve others, even and especially in your workplace for your supervisors. And this leads to our third application, die so that others may live. You go, oh, oh, wait a second. Well, that's the whole death thing now. Now, I'm not talking physical death. In most instances, you know, for us, although we do, you know, thank those who who serve as firefighters and police officers who literally put their lives on the line in danger to protect us as they serve us. But uh, symbolically and spiritually, Jesus calls all of us to die to ourselves daily. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves daily so we can live in him and he can live through us. So we should die to ourselves in order to serve other people. And Jesus, speaking of the good shepherd who does what? Lays down his life. He lays down his life 
for others. And this is the amazing part. You have got to get this idea before you leave today. There's a reversal of roles in this truth that Jesus is speaking. Good shepherds didn't tend to their sheep in order to slaughter them. Good shepherds didn't tend to their sheep in order to slaughter them. They tended to the sheep so that they would give wool and milk and lambs. But if, if a lamb or a sheep was killed, it was primarily for sacrifices or to be a substitute for people. Here's how this worked out. People, human beings, the shepherd or others would come and they would lay hands on a lamb or a sheep that was perfect, spotless, unblemished, healthy. They would lay hands on and symbolically transfer their sins, their wrongdoing to that lamb or to that sheep. It would then be taken and it would be sacrificed on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Because the Bible says uh, the wages of sin is death and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. You remember Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they knew that they were naked and their nakedness was covered. Well, how was it covered? Animal skins. Animals died and gave their skins to cover the sin and the nakedness and the shame of Adam and Eve. So all through the Old Covenant, shepherds placed their sins, people placed their sins on the sheep, on the lambs, so that the shepherd or the people could be made right with God. But in the New Covenant, the Good Shepherd, Jesus, who was the one without sin, died so that the sheep might live. You see that total reversal of roles that's taking place here? The sins of the sheep, of the people, we're sin-stained, we're tainted. We transfer those to the good shepherd who was perfect, unblemished, spotless, righteous, holy. We transfer to the good shepherd who died in our place so that we could become what? Perfect, unblemished, forgiven, spotless, righteous before God. Not because of us, but because we traded with the good shepherd. Do you see that reversal? Sheep died for the shepherd in the old covenant. In the new covenant, the shepherd died for the sheep. And God calls us to give up our rights, to deny ourselves for the sake and the benefit of others. And that may cost you time as you give and you serve other people. That may cost you money. It may mean you give your talents. It may mean you use your home. It may mean you use your vehicle and your gas or any other number of things to serve other people. But that's what Jesus says that we must do if we are going to be good shepherds. Those are ways that you lay down your life to serve other people and to place their needs above your own. And finally this morning, the last thing from this passage, know and care for your sheep. Know and care for your sheep. Jesus compares the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep to his relationship with his heavenly father. They had a special, unique, intimate relationship and knowledge uh, with one another. And that's the relationship Jesus wants us to have with him and with God. He wants us to have this intimate relationship, this love relationship uh, with Christ. 
and with God. Have you ever heard anyone talk a little bit about the biblical word no? Uh, it, it means more than just a head knowledge, like knowing your multiplication tables, all right? Do you know, you know what eight times seven is? You know, it, it doesn't, that's not the kind of no that the Bible speaks of. There are two uh, primary ways this word no is used. One uh, is to have an intimate knowledge or, or relationship. Actually, that's what the word means in general. One concept of that is sexually. It's a reference to a husband and wife knowing one another sexually, which is the most intimate personal knowledge that a man or woman can have with one another. I listed several references from the Bible where you see that, where, where a man knowing a woman is clearly in a sexual sense. When you go back and look at Genesis and it says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. It doesn't mean he shook her hands and said, It's good to know you, and she had a baby. All right? That's not what it means. All right? It's talking uh, about sexuality in that context. Uh, in Matthew, after Mary was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that Joseph didn't know her until after. Christ's birth so that she was born of a virgin. So that's one form of the word no in the Bible. Now that's not the direct application here in John chapter 10. That's one form of it. The other is a concept of having a special relationship or a fondness for someone. In Amos 3 2, God says of Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. So you read that and go, well, did God not know of other nations? Did God know that, not know that there were other people? Of course God knew. It just means he had shown special favor and had chosen Israel to be his chosen, his special people. In Matthew seven twenty three, Jesus says to those who hadn't believed in him, even though they thought they had, they thought they had placed their trust in Christ, but they hadn't. In Matthew seven twenty three, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so that means he had no love relationship with him. They hadn't placed their faith and their trust in him. So this word no paints a picture of intimate knowledge and of special relationship. Understanding that, listen to how Jesus speaks of the good shepherd knowing his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. One of the attributes in humans that identifies us as being in the image of God is the ability to make choices and decisions. So as we think this morning about the opportunity to lay down our lives for others, it's important for us to remember that this is a choice. We can be selfish. We can be all about us, what we're going to get out of this, what's going to be the return on our investment. We can totally think in terms of those things of what's this going to do for me? Or we can think in terms of what has Jesus done for me and what does he call me to do for others? It's a choice that we make to lay down our lives to serve other people. And I think it's ironic that humans oftentimes choose not to do. We choose not to serve. We don't want to give of ourselves. We, we protect our time, our money, our resources. We, we guard, we hoard, we, we, we greedily uh, hold on to these things. I think it's interesting, it's ironic that we choose not to do oftentimes what animals do instinctively. Vervet monkeys, for instance, have three distinct alarm calls that they sound if there is a leopard or a snake or an eagle. 
And obviously, when thinking about the three different calls, if you hear the call for an eagle, you look up and you get under something. If you hear the call for a snake, you don't get under something. You get up, you know, away from it. And for a leopard, I don't know what you do. You just hope you're not the slowest one in the pack, I guess. I don't know how that works out. But they have these calls. But here's the thing. Guess what happens to the monkey that sounds the alarm? Very often, it dies because in sounding the alarm, it draws attention to itself, to its location, and it dies to protect the other monkeys. In Southeast Asia, there's a species of termites that when attacked, they they fight and they protect their mound, but if they realize they're losing, they're outnumbered, they crawl back into the nest. I know it's really gross. You're like, oh, yuck, that's nasty. But they they, they crawl back into their nest, and then they self-rupture a gland in one of their tunnels that secretes a sticky substance that begins to harden pretty quickly. And as the enemies come in and they grab this termite, they get mired in this this substance that that basically becomes a glue and locks them in. And you know what that does? It clogs the tunnel. It protects the nest. It dies in the tunnel to become a dam, to become a block, so that nothing else can come in and injure the rest of the colony. In John 15, Jesus said this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The good shepherd showed his love by laying down his life for us, and he calls us to do the same for others.